Hey there, everyone. My name's Pat Rothfuss, and I'd like to welcome you to World Builders Weekly, the podcast. Each week, we bring you the best in everything geek, books, board games, interviews with authors, and other notable cool people. Even better, this is all for a good cause, because World Builders is a charity that works to make the world a better place. And we are so glad that you've decided to join us. Hello, welcome to World Builders Weekly. I am Gray, the Executive Director for World Builders, uh, coming to you from Stevens Point, Wisconsin, the hub of all the action. Every week we bring you the latest news, treasures, and special deals from the market, trivia, nerdy tangents, lots of those today, and plenty of geeks doing good stories thanks to your incredible support. And when we're lucky like today, you'll catch us chatting with an amazing author like C.L. Clark. Sheree, thank you for joining us and congratulations on your new novel. Ah, thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me as well. I appreciate it. you are joining us from across the pond. I appreciate you cutting into it. What's see, would it be tea time now? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. Just um, before dinner. Yeah, exactly. Good. Before dinner works. But we have to take care of our normal business, which is our trivia question. The first trivia question that we had was the old one, and you can feel free to chime in the answer if you happen to know it. Who was the Greek goddess of spring? <laughs> apparently there's two answers. I learned something with this one. I knew one of the answers, but apparently there were two answers that worked. Do you want to take a guess? Sorry. Me? Yeah. Um, Persephone. Yes, that's the one that I was thinking of too. Apparently there's another one named Kore, K-O-R-E. But we would accept either of those answers to people to uh, DM them to us and we would give them an entry into our giveaway. We have amazing things like owlbear backpacks and things like that to give away. Mm. And uh, apparently, I don't know what it's like where you are, but spring is not... Persephone is still enjoying her time in the underworld up here at oh, no. point. It is it is ridiculous. She's definitely here today. Uh, very much so. <laughs> Envy. Envious. All right. So this is the new question. And remember, do not say it in the comments. We won't say it out loud right now because we're going to have them DM'd to us. And next Tuesday, we'll find out the answer. All right. So... There were only two people in the J.R.R. Tolkien trilogy that gave up the One Ring voluntarily. Who are those two people? And uh, you send a direct message to us on any platform and you will be entered into our monthly trivia prize. A little bit of Lord of the Rings stuff. All right. So... Sheree, I'm going to now do that incredibly awkward moment where I talk about you as if you're not here as I read your bio. Um, this is from clarkwrites.wordpress.com. And Sheree graduated from Indiana University's Creative Writing MFA and was a 2012 Lambda Literary Fellow. She's been a personal trainer, an English teacher, and an editor, and is some combination thereof as she travels the world. When she's not writing or working, She's learning languages, doing P90-something, or reading about war and post-colonial history. Her work has appeared or is forthcoming in FIA, yay, we're big fans of FIA here, uh, Podcastle, Uncanny, and Beneath Ceaseless Skies. And now, 
you're one of the co-editors at Podcastle. And we're here today, so I will just say I'm very happy to say that The Unbroken is The Magic of the Lost Trilogy Part 1, which is good because I really need more of these characters. I'm going to read the blurb real quick. Every empire demands revolution. Wait, we need to make this. Every empire demands revolution. Terrain is a soldier, stolen as a child, and raised to kill and die for the empire. Her only loyalty is to her fellow conscripts. But now, her company has been sent back to her homeland to stop a rebellion, and the ties of blood may be stronger than she thought. Meanwhile, there's also Luca. Luca needs a turncoat. Someone desperate enough to tiptoe the bayonet's edge between treason and orders. Someone who can sway the rebels toward peace while Luca focuses on what really matters, getting her uncle off her throne. Through assassinations and massacres in bedrooms and war rooms, Touraine and Luca will haggle over the price of a nation, but some things aren't for sale. And if that sounds like it's a big time thriller, yes, it really, really is. Sheree, I, I want to say, first of all, as a former grunt, um, I really, really enjoy the camaraderie that you created in the company through the characters. Oh, cool. the, the only part that was really not believable was having a lieutenant as competent as Terrain in charge. I mean, that, that, just, that I, I never really quite dealt with. I don't but know. I, was, I feel like some of her crew might argue. With <laughs> good point. That's a good point. Uh, can you talk about how you developed that military aspect of the company? Sure. I kind of have a little bit of a military background, not myself personally as a soldier, but um, I have a big military family, like my dad, all my uncles, um, aunts. And when I was younger, I was actually a young Marine. So that's like ROTC um, for folks who don't know, except instead of being like in any other branch, it's specifically the Marine branch of ROTC. But it's been a, a long journey through that. So um, as I started studying more war and studying like um, imperialism, as well as other American things, <laughs> um, I kept my interest in war and started just doing more research into how America's military has sort of proliferated itself. And a lot of that involves reading literature from soldiers as it's gotten more prevalent um especially like soldiers who come back and write about like the forever war and stuff and so that i think that informed part of the like actual inter-soldier relationship um i'm trying to think if i can if i have any particular books that really sold it for me but i'm drawing a complete blank right now was um uh, Thibault and, and uh, why am I blanking on Prue? Mm -hmm. um, were they based on anybody uh, specific that you knew, or did those characters just come out of the out of the story? No, they came out of the story definitely. I liked them because they kind of offered two different tipping points for terrain um, and sort of showed a range of feelings for the Sands. Um, and like how they're reacting to their position as conscripts and how they're reacting when they got back to the colony. It's a testament to how effective your writing is in that uh, while I was writing this and while I was talking about it, I actually 
got to the point where I'm like, I will not use that word because just like I wouldn't use any other racial slur, you know, it's just, uh, <laughs> it, it internalized to me and uh, I couldn't call it that. And when I read about the whole, the company's circumstances, you know, where they came from and how they formed, I immediately related it to the Janissaries, the, the concept of that. But that's certainly not the only time that is used as a political tool, but it definitely sort of complicates character motivations. Uh, can you talk about like how, why you chose that particular circumstance to portray? I think part of it comes just because one of my main inspirations for The Unbroken was that I wanted to be able to portray women who were violent just because and who didn't, who weren't necessarily um, ashamed of it. They weren't doing it to protect people or to defend children or just themselves, but it was like a job and potentially a job that they were good at. And soldiering is one of those jobs. So that was part of it. And I think the other part though, from a historical context comes from the fact that most Imperial powers did use or do use at some point satellite nations people as the military so that they can keep wars off of their own soil but still manage to do some sort of land grab land contest or just the fact that the world is very big and so they needed somebody to be in one place while they were elsewhere so yeah it was interesting seeing the way that the people in the company would have very differing viewpoints and relations to the imperialist side of things. Some of them just resigned to it. Some of them actively engaged in supporting it. Some of them actively engaged in going against it. And that that lends a different kind of motivation, I thought, than to what I've seen, like, you know, in a, a similar company of, of infantry, where everybody's like, oh, we have to fight communists. That's all we're here for. And we're all together on that. You know, that's, um, it, it was, I sort of looked at it and was like, boy, I'm glad that we didn't have to deal with those kinds of motivations. That being said, you um, did model pretty, I mean, the names at least were very much related to France, French things. Is there a particular aspect of French history that made you choose that? Or was it just a, a way to choose a colonial force? Uh, I was definitely inspired by France's relationship with North Africa, that colonial relationship, mostly because that was my my primary area of study. When I was in university, I was studying French literature and French Francophone African literature as well. And so that was kind of my entry point and where I was thinking about these ideas of colonialism. And also, like, when I was younger, I was a big Francophile. Like, I was like, ooh, France. But then when you really like something, you learn a lot about it. And if you go far enough, you start seeing, like, you go to the edge, and then you fall off the edge, and you see underneath it. And that's kind of what happened. And I, part of me really just wanted to start questioning these European nations that are the basis for so much fantasy because England is right along with France and that's their, and Italy, and they're like the, the three big um, fantasy powerhouses in a sense. Like if you have some sort of European based society, it's usually based off of one of those three. And so I wanted to start turning that over a bit more. Nice. Yeah, it, the, the different levels to enjoy this particular level of uh, book. I mean, there's the whole, 
the reason I'm glad it's a trilogy is because I want to know more about the history of things and, you know, the way that people got where they are, how the uncle got on the throne, what was behind that, you know, those kinds of things. Um, and at the same time, it goes right down to the level of dealing with disability, you know, everyday, everyday life dealing with that. Uh, and that's another thing about this is that the the richness of representation in terms of different characters having different qualities um you know as a as a as a chunky guy Thibaut was my favorite you know love that guy um and at the same time it never seemed to be a mechanism to derive like they weren't defined by their by those characteristics can you talk about the importance of representation and how that how that uh, affects your writing yeah it's I mean, on one hand, it's not something that I thought about directly as like, I want to include this, I want to include this, but as, kind of as many, I've heard people say this before, but so much of it just is about reflecting the people who are, who I see around me, whether it's friends and family or just like the fact that I know, like I see these people outside in my life. And I mean... I know that there are there are people who are not represented in my fiction and I mean hopefully I have a long enough career <laughs> that that changes but yeah I, I think it's 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 hasn't been at least a, a direct or explicit um, I must have this I must have this I must have this kind of story though at the same time there are like I am aware of holistic biases or absences in the genre and so that is something that I want to interrogate more in my work including I mean like you said like including body shape in in fantasy and like um so yeah like I don't like the idea of of certain body shapes being always villainous or certain sexualities being villainous or um, stuff like that. And so that's something that I want to pay attention to for sure. Yeah, you also didn't take like, I always think of this as most prevalent in, in The Witcher where you have someone with uh, a different body and different abilities and it's a prime part of their character. And then suddenly there's a magical spell and it's all different and suddenly they are you know exactly in the classically fit type of body and there were moments that I thought you were going there in the book I was like oh oh I see she set up this thing here and now there's this person with this issue it's just going to suddenly disappear and you, you don't take the easy way out and hats off for that it definitely made it it's almost a gritty book I, I mentioned before we started the stream that you owe me some sleep because I reached a certain point in this book and I was like, oh, hey, I see I'm heading towards the conclusion. I'm done. Okay. Oh, wait. Nope. There's a whole other act in here that's going on that I that kept me up far past when I should have been awake. So um, it was very fun. Part of it was because you have lots of action in this book. I mean, we talked about all these political stuff, but I mean, you have riots, there are duels, there's escapes, there's urban tactical combat in here. Uh, I mean, I, I feel like I'm you know, doing the description of the Princess Bride or something. <laughs> but, um, I like how, that. 
Yeah, can you can you walk us through how you create a good action scene? Because those are those aren't easy to write. Well, I'm glad that you think that they're good because I definitely spent some time agonizing over them. Um, hmm, how do I? <laughs> I, I, there were definitely, there was a scene at the end, those of you who read it might recall, but between Terrain and a certain character and they're having a little dually moment. And I actually have to tip my hat to David Doglish, who, um, he had a Twitter thread and it came out when I was actually, when I was doing some of my last edits for The Unbroken about this time last year. And he was talking about how to, like, I think it was like how to write a, like a good fight scene or maybe it was like an emotional fight scene or something. And um, I actually just like <laughs> followed his tweet guideline. I was like, okay. This makes sense. And this part I have, okay, but this part I don't have. How can I put this in? Um, and I can actually, I can uh, I can reference that later. If you guys find me on Twitter, I'll dig it up. And, yeah, I um, definitely appreciate that. But it was mostly about, one, keeping the actual action fairly simple, fairly simple. Um, or at least like simple in terms of not describing every single like punch and left and punch and dance and dodge and like not like every single um, physical motion, but enough and maintaining like the, the integral emotion of the fighting. So like, why are we fighting? Why is this important? And some of that might get set up beforehand. Some of that might be sort of like do a little decompression afterwards, but you know, making sure that there's breath in the fight as well as the actual actions. Uh, but also, you know, making sure that they are some cool actions sometimes. And do you do you want to talk about what kinds of combat uh, forms or styles influenced you in this? I can guess some, but I don't want to. Again, I don't want to spoil things, and I don't want to make assumptions about them either. So, mm -hmm. I. Some of it's just like good old fashioned, like punching and kicking and not dying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and that is the Marine Corps way. Yeah. Punch, kick, die, die. When I was a kid, um, my mom had a friend who taught us little bits of capoeira, which is um, a Brazilian martial arts for folks who don't know. It's a bit, um, from the outside, it looks very dance-like um, and it's even accompanied by music. And so I was inspired a bit by that for some of the rebels fighting techniques. And then, I mean, I think that's the only like visual technique I had in mind. And then like, I would like to know a lot more about swordplay, uh, <laughs> but that might have to wait until after lockdown and I might go to actually get to go to some classes and stuff. I, Cause in theory, some of these folks are going to be fencers. Like Luca's a fencer. I don't know yeah, how much Luca's of one she is, but. <laughs> that was pretty cool. I actually enjoyed yeah. that a lot. And her oh. relationship with Giel was interesting. That kind of guardian, or I don't know, assistant slash guardian slash you know, supporter. Yeah, I, I would like, 
he, m mostly he's kind of like her her second father um mm -hmm. as far as i could think of that with like a side gig as a bodyguard i guess yeah right okay. um so another thing and then again i'm someday just so you know i will bring someone on to world builders weekly whose book I did not enjoy because everybody's used to me saying, oh my God, I love this book so much. You know, it just, I, I keep saying that. Uh, uh, Sui Davies, I was just gushing about his book uh, a couple weeks ago. Oh, nice, nice. And, and this is one of those cases where I just, it, it was really, really fun to read. Um, and one of the things I enjoyed about it is that, um, I don't, I wouldn't call it a romance, but there's definitely romantic feelings or relations. I'm not sure quite how to, to define it. <laughs> um, but but the best thing about it is that that they aren't cookie cutter you know person meets person person likes person person strips person it was it's there's not that that kind of uh, escalator relationship going on and I'm really interested in because you have so many different ties and relationships in here like how you went to developing those personal ties between the characters and if there were any surprises as you went along that the characters said oh by the way there's this thing about me I know that sometimes happens so well, one character did do that, and it changed um, a familial relationship. I'm not going to talk too much about it because of spoilers. Um, but one character was a completely different person until they said, no, 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 I'm this person, actually. And so we should talk about how I actually feel about terrain, because it's about to get messy. Um, <laughs> Okay, if it's the character that I thought I'm going to see from like, what? That was a reveal to you too? Oh my gosh, because yes. there, there, were, there were some reveals that I was like, whoa, I did not see that coming. Yeah, that was, that. we're probably thinking about the same one. In terms of the romantic relationships, well, they're kind of like two. I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm going to be real honest. As much as I would like to be good and right, happy, sweet, tender romances. Um, I, I'm, <laughs> <laughs> um, You'd rather write interesting ones. <laughs> well, like, I think that tender ones can be, but I just, I'm, I'm a real sucker for a good tragedy. I just, I am. <laughs> So not to give you guys uh, too much insight, because I don't know what's actually going to happen by the end of book three. We'll find out together, all of us. <laughs> but when I was writing Terrain and Luca, I was really interested in the tension and like uh, an enemies to lovers relationship. And I wondered what might happen if you couldn't easily reconcile the lovers part. Like, what does it take to truly go from real enemies, like I'm gonna kill your family and everybody you once loved to um, lovers. And if you read the book, you'll see where it gets to. One person said it very interestingly um, as um, enemies to enemies, but horny about it. And <laughs> yes, um, and I really like that <laughs> because in general I hesitate to say enemies to lovers because I don't I don't always know that they that's where they end up you know. Yeah, I was thinking about that because there were there were quite a few times in there that there may have been you know one or another action or betrayal or something that happened that and I won't say who did what we're 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 skirting dangerously close to um, spoilers so I'll make this quick. Uh, 
but I was sort of like, oh, well, that must be over now, that that particular supply. I guess, I guess they're not going to. And then in the next thing, you're like, but wait, those feelings don't go away. Just because the person has done something that you may, that we may think is unforgivable, there is still that residual, whether it's attraction or, you know, people are, are, are multidimensional and you can like one part and not like another part. And um, mm -hmm. it, it definitely, when you say you, you were, when you say you were exploring the tension, I'm like, there's not a knife sharp enough to cut the amount of tension that goes on in some of these, some of these interactions. Um, and not just the romantic tension, but in other places as well. Uh, so yeah, uh, I'm, I'm going to definitely quote that enemies to enemies, but horny about it. <laughs> it's perfect. Before we uh, dive into spoilers, which I don't want to do, we, we need to actually start having World Builders Weekly that has like, here's the regular show. And from this point <laughs> on, it's going to be spoilers. And we'll release that separately um, or just have it as a book club or something. Um, can you talk about more about your interest in post-colonial history? Like what is, what is that, how does that define as a, as a subject matter? Well, the definition, it changes fairly frequently, honestly. I mean, like, um, just because the discussions around it change so much, like even now, I feel like many academics have probably moved from talking just about post-colonial history because we're still very, like, despite the colonies, many colonies in the world having nominal independence, they're still um, held in financial thrall in some way or another. The fact that many once colonies now can't even get COVID vaccines, for example, um, because they're held up by the former colonizers is very, like, very interesting um, conversation as well as environmental colonialism. Um, so saying post-colonial is a bit of a misnomer. But I think it also depends on what what field you're in, and I'm not my finger's not on all of all of these. Um, there's also very particularly anti-colonial studies, um, and so there are people who have stopped writing uh, in like previously colonial languages. So imagining a place that was colonized by England, where most people would speak English writers abandoning English and sacrificing perhaps the wider reach to write only in a native language, for example, and, and with French as well. So there's, there's that aspect of um, post-colonial study. But for me in particular, I am most interested in how things were and the repercussions from it, uh, which is I want to say it's a bit history, but then I think about um, some of the novel ideas I have coming up are, they're definitely modern issues that I'm exploring. This is it's not related to the Magic of the Lost series though, so no, no more words about that one. I think the war aspect though, I'm interested in because of how heavily, how prevalent it is a narrative in science fiction and fantasy um the amount of fiction that is not about conquering or exploring and taking something from somebody else is still relatively small obviously those books do exist but 
when we're talking big, like chunky epics and stuff, they're still very much war books. And depending on who the bad guy is, they're often colonial books. And so I'm interested still in exploring that and exploring why we write the stories and why we're telling these stories to ourselves and to each other. And certainly what effect those stories have on how we act on things. Uh, exactly. As a former Marine, I have my own, you know, love the Corps, love my, you know, fellow Corps members. At the same time, look at some of the things that I've done, uh, both historically, and there are some things I'm proud of, and there's some things I'm not proud of, and there's some things that I am proud of, while at the same time ashamed that the government asked them to do that. Like, you know, that, that I'm, I'm like, proud of the behavior of individuals within harsh circumstances, but the larger picture is just uh, ridiculously bad. And I think, I don't know if this was something that was prevalent in, in the, uh, the Young Marine program that you were in, but one of the things they supposedly prided themselves on was the idea that Marines would think for themselves and were more likely to disobey an unlawful order, that kind of situation. Mm -hmm. I don't know how much that actually went into practice. The idea was good, but then I guess there's a level of how much do you question it? You know, at what point is it um, disobeying an, an unlawful order because of the whole the whole aspect of, hey, we shouldn't, we shouldn't even be in this country kind of situation. And uh, when you talk about post-colonial history, I, I wish, I mean, my, my education in terms of that has all been post-primary education. And I feel like mm -hmm. there's so much that we were lied to about uh, and not told about. Absolutely. Um, are there any particular sources, especially for, <laughs> for the, the layperson that would be, you'd recommend for learning more about that? One that's, uh, well, a couple that are sort of approachable-ish and it depends I think like where you are so if you're interested specifically in American stuff I would recommend at least for start there's a people's history of the United States um, by Howard Zinn but there's also a graphic novel that's called A People's History of American Imperialism which is a little faster being a graphic novel, but it's not less heavy. Um, but it specifically goes into America's like off soil fighting and going back into some of the like proxy wars that they had, we had, I'm thinking um, historically. But then also re more recently I read um, if people are interested in understanding a bit more about things happening in the Middle East and America and Europe's role in that. Um, there's uh, The Black Wave by Kim Ratas. I can, um, I can also add those to the notes as well. And Lawrence in Arabia by Scott Anderson. And those are a couple off the top of my head. Yeah, <laughs> talk about mixed feelings. I, one of my favorite movies, Lawrence of Arabia. So much wonderful about the movie, so much wrong about the situation. We uh, had a question from the chat come up 
that is just a shift back to the book. Uh, yes, yeah, so much wrong about the movie. I know, I know. It's 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 hard to have something you you were raised to love and then you realize no, no, not so good. But talk about good stuff. <laughs> um, the comment was from Zoe. Uh, said I love the cover art of this book. Can you talk a little bit about the art and how much you had to say about how it looked? And I will say one thing about it: the cover that you see there you definitely get like that moment and that outfit and that stuff in the book, which I was very appreciative of. I, I don't like false advertising on book covers. So. <laughs> um, um, I'm not going to lie. I did see that cover before I turned in the final, final book. So I was like, oh, well, I mean, if it's going to look like that, let me just add a little uh, bit here. Let me add a little bit here. So definitely mad props to Tommy Arnold as the artist of Gideon and Harrow the Ninth Fame. And Lauren Panapinto is the designer um, over at Orbit. She did that. And as far as, like, I, I had, like, a decent amount of input. I, like, I got to, my editor came to me kind of with this vision um, to kind of subvert, not kind of, definitely, to subvert the... Um, the sort of stereotypical fantasy man on a throne or man in a like man standing powerfully kind of pose and put a woman on it instead, but without changing anything else about it. Um, Preferably not the looking backwards as she's turned away pose. The, the butt cheek pose? No. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure people would have been pleased with that, but not as pleased maybe as they are with the arms, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, terrain's... Uh, how, how PG is this? <laughs> oh, no, you, you can say fuck. You can talk about... We, we, we've had uh, discussions about polyamory and all kinds of things here. So. Oh, okay. Right well, up. I mean, I just... I feel like the hashtag Terrain's ass would be a little different than the hashtag Terrain's arms. And I mean, I don't think mm -hmm. that people would be mad. I just think it's a different... It's a different vibe than what I was looking for. <laughs> <laughs> and I think I think Terrain would be mad. She would be... She'd be very upset. Yeah, um, the story of developing that outfit is in there. Like you added that in and it actually has reasoning in it. And uh, there was a, a moment when I talked to my partner, I said, yeah, you, you definitely will enjoy this book. And I know exactly what part you will enjoy the most <laughs> uh, in terms <laughs> of visioning. Uh, yeah. Arm vibes, not booty vibes, <laughs> important notes. Yeah. Yes, yes, it's very important. Yeah. Um, especially, it was also, that was part of, um, um, I don't know, I, I was, talking about this actually on a panel recently um, about writing queer characters in fiction and there's definitely a difference between like writing for um, a male sexual gaze versus for, uh, mm -hmm. like toward toward a woman versus writing with a, a queer sexual gaze um, toward a woman and I that was actually one of the one of the notes and what I got to send to Tommy Arnold, it was like a character description of terrain, um, outfit description. The sleeveless was already my idea. Um, <laughs> but um, one of the notes that I put in was that she's a masculine of center woman and she's hot, but specifically she's hot to women. Like, not like, you know, the sort of like stereotypical, um, fantasy catered toward men like large boobs, large butt, tiny waist stereotype that we're so used in seeing in fantasy art. Um, 
and that's not that wasn't what my my mental vibe was going with yeah it's sapphic gaze not male gaze yes um, those are the words those are the yeah. words yeah a good good way to term it uh determine it um and and just before we have anybody come in with the whole model thing we're not saying is anything wrong with male gaze there's just plenty of it out there it's nice to kind of change things up a little bit mm -hmm. uh yeah <laughs> this is actually this is actually relevant to the next question i have um but the question comes in how do i get arms and shoulders like hers <laughs> <laughs> Um, lots of push-ups and pull-ups. Yep. And, uh, that, that actually goes right into a very, very important question, possibly the most important question of the entire interview. True or false, the P90X yoga video is the most useless and boring of the entire series. False. Really? Okay. I mean, I, well, I, you gave me a two-part question and one question, so... Good point, good point. Um, I do not think it is the most useless. And actually, I honestly don't think it's the most boring now that I think about it. Um, it I did is, for a yeah. second. It's really, really long, though. It's really yeah. long. And so I definitely am guilty of cutting off at like he says, it's like, here's part one and here's part two. And so I'm guilty of cutting off and skipping one or the other for sure. But I actually think the most boring and most useless one is the little Kenpo X Thing. Uh, I always skip that and do something else for cardio because I'm like, I'm not tired. I don't think it's fun. Uh, like I was gonna say, it's fun because you get to pretend to punch things. But. Yeah, but if I'm gonna put in the effort, I would actually rather do the P90X3 MMX workout instead. Uh, um, it's more, it's faster paced, more punches, cooler punches. Um, yeah. We should probably specify what P90X is. Um, <laughs> uh, 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 go, uh, go, you go ahead. Uh, you, you probably know more about it than I do. I'm, I'm a, uh, a dilettante at best. So the P90 series, it started way back when with P90, which was kind of like the on-ramp to P90X. Just a sort of 90-day fitness program that you do at home, specifically without having to go to a gym and stuff. And you can do it adaptably like with weights or with exercise bands, different modifications. I actually haven't had weights at home in a long time. So I've adapted it to, to be done with my TRX and a couple kettlebells I have laying around. Honestly, it's been a while since I've done like the full 90s straight at this point. I just, yeah. Yeah, the two things that I, so I did the original series, it was gifted me. I, and just to let everyone know how old this is, uh, I have it still on DVD. And yep. they aren't Blu-ray DVDs. <laughs> they are just DVDs. Uh -huh. <laughs> um, uh -huh. And uh, uh, one thing that didn't impress me is that, you know, they usually in exercise programs, they have like different levels of things, but everybody usually looks about the same. Mm -hmm. And in this particular one, there's, there's actually one person who actually is doing everything with a prosthetic leg, mm -hmm. um, including like hopping and things like that when they're doing it. So in terms of that, I liked it. The... Oh God, I keep wanting to say Tony. I don't know if that's his name. Tony Horton. Tony Horton, that is Tony, yeah. He is obnoxiously cheerful and and uh, and friendly. And, you know, you sort of, I sort of loved to hate him in some ways while we did it. Yeah. Um, and yeah, but it definitely, so at, at the time that I was doing it, I was a single parent and so couldn't go up to 
gyms and things like that. So mm -hmm. I used it as working out at home because we couldn't go out. Um, and it occurs to me that, you know, it now it's almost custom made for post pandemic or pandemic life. Um, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is that it? Have you like always been enthusiastic about it or is it something that you pulled out during the pandemic to? No, I, I've always actually have been. I think it started like I was doing my MFA and after my first year, I like I had been a personal trainer right before that. And after my first year, all of that had just kind of like gotten scuttled. And I was just like, ah, oh, crap. This entire important half of my life has been gone for a year. I hate it and I miss it how do I get it back? And um, a friend of mine was doing it. I don't even think he, <laughs> he went very far with it, but he was like, oh, you should try it. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like I used to do this. And he was talking about P90X3, which is the 30 minute edition. I was like, I can handle 30 minutes. That's fine. And so I got back into it. And then for like the next two years, I just did it on a loop. And I, like I did a few of the P90X3 and then I, ended up having, I got like a little set of screwable dumbbells, like the up to 50 pounds total dumbbells. And um, yeah, I got, I got, I got pretty, I got pretty swole. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> um, and I had a TRX all the time as well. So I used that for some things. And then I discovered that I really like kettlebells. So I got one of those. And this is all back when I was, um, back in the states but as i started traveling more it became mostly like using my trx to and like a backpack full of junk to um adapt the exercises and stuff um sure. and keep like a pull-up bar on hand or like find a good park uh, i recently got a, a kettlebell that so i couldn't afford like the entire set but it's a, basically a leather mm -hmm. bag that you then mm -hmm. can put in, depending whether you put in rocks or washers, or I guess if you put in pennies, it's the heaviest. Um, oh, but huh. but that works uh, pretty well. <laughs> it, it's interesting. We actually uh, have a few bodybuilders on the World Builder staff, so I'm sure they are oh, cool. they are taking notes as this goes on. Um, the uh, did you ever do the uh, the insanity the, the follow up I... to it? I did not actually. I had it for a minute, like a little trial of it or whatever. Mm -hmm. I just didn't jive with it the same way. I think there's a kind of attitude that I liked out of Tony. Um, his, his little motto for those of you guys who've never done it before is like, do your best and forget the rest. And I was like, ah, all right, all right, I like this. Mm -hmm. um, it's interesting because when I'm when I was a trainer, I was I was a body weight trainer primarily. Um, but I don't, I don't love, <laughs> I feel like I'm going to lose my, my trainer card, but I don't love high intensity interval training, like, um, the Shanti style. It's still like, like, I love it with things like kettlebells or like kettlebell TRX combos and stuff, but I just, that was not, not my favorite. I, I honestly feel like it's a, um, it's a diminishing return and increasing risk thing. I mean, I've done a lot of high intensity stuff, but yeah, like I, I mentioned earlier, you know, you reach a certain point where you stretch wrong and suddenly you pull a muscle in your back and um, a high intensity training is a way to do that. that that's my 
my complaint about the yoga, honestly, was mm -hmm. not anything against yoga. I have my own personal love-hate relationship with yoga, but it was more that I'd watch the video and be like, you know what? I can find a different, better yoga workout for an mm -hmm. hour than for this sure. one. Um, for sure. But everything else I, I tended to enjoy a lot, including the Kempo. I gotta say, I just, I had fun doing the little things there, but. I like the uh, P90X3 yoga better than the P90X yoga. I think my biggest current issue is I had uh, surgery on one of my shoulders um, in the last couple of years. So that's kind of shifted my mm -hmm. emphases lately. And I'm just still kind of recovering. Like I, I, I call my arms like this is my good arm. So this one is Hulk and this one is Thor. It's a little smaller still, so. <laughs> but still big, still big. Love it. Love it. I, I like what Captain Macbeth talked about. We're actually we're more about actually being strong and not just looking strong. And yeah, I, I had a feeling that the Hulk and Thor would get a good response from the uh, Twitch chat, definitely. <laughs> um, uh, and you're getting a lot of, everybody agrees, hates uh, high intensity interval training. Uh, the only thing I like about it is it's short. I mean, that's the thing is that that's taking true. time. That is true. You know, the, the whole seven minute workout thing. I was like, oh, great. I can do this. And I won't have to worry about the rest of the day. I think the thing is, part, is like, I don't like like burpees or something because I would do I would do the highest of intensity, like kettlebell swings. I would knock those out and be done. And I, like, I love kettlebells. I think they're so cool. And but I feel I feel like I get a lot more bang for my buck out of them as well. I don't yeah. know. Me too. I usually enjoy kettlebells a lot. So we are almost out of time. Uh, if it's okay with you, we'll go to what we call the lightning round, which has sure. absolutely nothing to do with your book, uh, nothing to do with, uh, well, probably nothing to do with uh, that, but with uh, exercise or things like that. Uh, yep. It's just kind of sort of getting to know Sheree and, and asking questions, a simple one. So the first one is, uh, if, you know, assuming all in, in the before times, if uh, we're hanging out and I say, hey, what would you like to drink? What's your beverage of choice? Could be uh, alcoholic, could be non, whatever. Just kind of a... Right now, I'm actually really craving bubble tea. So I would like uh, a um, melon bubble tea with the like cheesy cream stuff on top. You and my with bubbles. Get along well with that, yes. Yep. Uh, and how about a meal of choice? Like, do you have a particular comfort food that you prefer? Uh, last week for my release day, I had Ethiopian food and that was pretty, like, I would do that again. Oh, yes. Oh, <laughs> man. I tell you, I, I went from Seattle to Madison, which was taking away a lot of Ethiopian food. And now we're in mm -hmm. Stevens Point. And as far as I know, maybe the chat will correct me, there isn't an Ethiopian restaurant in, in Stevens mm. Point. So uh, the sacrifices we make for, for work. I was interesting. You said release day. I've always heard it as cheap day, but I like the release day better. <laughs> no, no, release day of my book. Oh, that kind of thing. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. I was thinking it was like the, you know. <laughs> yeah. All right. Um, so if I said, hey, I'm about to go on a trip. I need to bring along a good book. What would you recommend? How long's the trip? Um, it's as long as a good book you'd like to recommend. <laughs> <laughs> um. If you are going on a trip and you just needed something that would like be your only book, I would say She Who Became the Sun um, because it's got a nice breadth of like 
war discussion, um, but a nice little like enemy hatred situation and nice destiny chasing. It's got a nice wide range of things. If you needed something for the airplane ride and you just wanted to like sink into some beauty or relax, probably better after the trip, then I would go with Winged Histories by Sophia Sabatar. Cool, we are writing these down. <laughs> One of our staff, Jenny, complained that after every World Builders Weekly, she has a bigger book list. Um, oh no. Because we always ask this question and then, and we don't bring it along with time to read the books. Um, Anything in particular that you've been enjoying uh, watching during the pandemic? I actually don't watch a lot. I'm usually like several years behind everything. So I only recently finished She-Ra, but I loved it. Ah, um, the animated, the new animated mm -hmm, series? The new, yeah. the new she yeah. yeah. But we also watch, cause like sometimes we just need something that requires no mental energy. Mm -hmm. um, we watched this show called Don't Tell the Bride. It's about, it follows like little, it's a little reality television show that follows these couples who um, the husband-to-be gets to plan the wedding. Very ill-advised situation in, in, in these cases. And you know, like shenanigans ensue. The bride-to-be goes and tells, it's very scripted. Like she says, this is what I want. These are the things I don't want. And of course he goes and does everything she doesn't want. And then you, you know. Hilarity ensues, right? Yeah, yeah, cool. What is something that you have around you every day that people would be surprised was there? <laughs> <laughs> um, honestly, I don't know that I'm that surprising. Um, the other twist to this question is to say something you have around you every day that doesn't necessarily serve a purpose, but it's meaningful to you. <laughs> the suggestion was the headless corpse of my enemy. <laughs> I don't carry those. I throw them out. They stink. They take up so much room. Yeah. And then people start asking questions and it's not, it's not good. Uh, oh, I have a, I have a little, I have a little, it's not little. I mean, it's properly sized. I have a plastic practice sword. Um, oh. but I, my ceilings are too low for me to practice inside. And so I haven't quite found the, a good situation. Nice. We have a, uh, our sister corporation, uh, Elodin, one of the people who work there is a, a teacher of sword play in LA and it actually does motion capture and stuff for that. So we, we are big fans of the sword play stuff here. I can see um, your sword in the back. Oh, <laughs> so. That is, um, you see how giant it is? Like it goes down the way down to the floor. It's a two-handed uh -huh. thing. Um, uh -huh. That I use for my uh, special Halloween costume called Overcompensation Man. Um, so yeah, it was bought literally because it is so ridiculously, you know, look at sword, terribly impractical. But yeah, it's fun. I, I have better swords over in the, in the corner that are more practical. And uh, so last one is, I have a magic wand that looks a bit like a pen, but if I wave my magic wand, I can have someone, anyone appear, real or imagined, alive or dead, that would love to just sit and have a conversation with you. Who would you like to have manifest when I wave my pen? <laughs> <laughs> I 
I feel like I'll be telling on myself a bit with this, uh, but probably Tane Hu from the Trader Bar Cormorant. Ah. Various reasons. <laughs> For reasons. Yeah. Reasons are not necessary. So it's always interesting to see who is chosen. Uh, and I learned from this. I really need to get around to reading the Trader Bar Cormorant. Yes, something I haven't uh, gotten to yet. <laughs> yeah, that you got a lot of uh, corroboration there in the chat. <laughs> well, thank you so much. We unfortunately are not carrying the paperback in our store yet, um, but we do have the audiobook in our Libro FM thing. So we've linked to that. Where would you like people to purchase this book from? Uh, I mean, honestly, anywhere is good, but. Okay. Um, but I, I would definitely appreciate it, and I'm sure your local bookstores would appreciate it um, if you purchase from them. If you don't have one nearby, purchasing from bookshop.org, whether you're in the UK or the US, I'm not sure if there are ones outside of that um, that mm -hmm. sort of take over Amazon's place of delivery of books. Um, if you are in the UK, there are a couple of bookstores that have... Um, book plate signed copies portal Ooh. bookstore and broken binding is in the uk those are the two in the uk and then old firehouse books and eventually maybe mysterious galaxy but not yet but old firehouse books in colorado definitely should probably have some uh some signed book plate editions excellent fantastic yeah, it's kind of uh, unfortunate, you know, you didn't get to do the in-person tour and it makes it harder to get the, the signed books out there. We definitely felt that as well. Mm -hmm. um, but, well, thank you so much for your time here. We also, uh, do you have any suggestions for who we should have on World Builders Weekly? I mean, let's pretend like you enjoyed this interview and just, you know. I definitely did. Excellent. Who, who would you recommend uh, it'd be interesting to talk to? Um, Honestly, I would, uh, partly because our books have been sort of duoed and trioed a lot, but um, I think that Tasha Suri with The Jasmine Throne would be awesome, especially after the Unbroken conversation, because I think our books are talking about different angles um, of the same issues, but sometimes in the same way. Um, and also Shelley Parker Chan, who is the author of uh, She Who Became the Sun, which is the book I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Cool. Great. Well, we appreciate those recommendations. That, that's, uh, that is very helpful and fun. And um, also now, Jenny, you have no more books to read. We always love to hear from everybody in, in chat or just message us particular guests. We also love talking with artists and other creators. Gamers are a big part of our World Builders community. And remember that you can always check out worldbuildersmarket.com for common, unique, rare, and even epic level items. Occasionally we get autographed editions of your favorite books. I, I may want to try and talk to you about talk to you about book plates, Sheree, after this. Uh, um, also tabletop games, art, homewares, and lots of fun geek stuff, which is going to be even more geek stuff during our mid-season fundraiser. We are hard at work getting stuff together and everything that's purchased from there helps support our mission of geeks doing good. Uh, you can always email your questions to questions at worldbuilders.org. Easy to remember. And we appreciate you joining us here. Sheree, we have, uh, because of the vagaries of Twitch, we always like to come up with a particular 
phrase for the end of the day uh, to say. And then when they repeat it back in chat, we know that we've actually gone offline and they've synced up. <laughs> Originally, it was the word vivamus, the Latin for, you know, let us live. Mm -hmm. But that turned into um, anything having to do with mooses and got kind of out of control. So um, we always try to mix it up now so people don't know what it is. So uh, in honor of your book, we will say the, the closing word. Thank you again for coming. Um, Thank you so much. The closing word is unbroken moose. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to World Builders Weekly, everyone. Take care of yourselves and take care of the people you love. Mm -hmm.